You're right. You should know what to expect when you get a COVID-19 vaccine. This is what. You might need two doses. Depending on the vaccine you're given, you may have to get a second dose three to four weeks after the first. You may have side effects. Some people are having short-term side effects like arm soreness, headaches, body aches, chills, or fever. These are expected and means your body is building protection against COVID-19. You will build immunity. It takes about two weeks after your last dose to get the full protection from the vaccine. You will still need to be safe. Until enough people are vaccinated, keep yourself and others safe by wearing your face covering, washing your hands, physically distancing, and staying home when you're sick. So yes, you're right. You should know what to expect when you get a COVID-19 vaccine. So knowing you may need two doses, side effects are possible, you'll build immunity, plus you'll still need to be safe, means no surprises when you get your COVID-19 vaccine. To learn more, visit nyc.gov slash COVID vaccine. How are we gonna be there for our children When they feel that life has just not been Good evening and welcome back to Mask's weekly radio show on Family Matters. Masks, mothers and fathers align saving kids, kids of all ages and all stages for all mental health issues, including addictions, school issues, if you need a parent support group or a referral for a therapist, an inpatient, we have an outpatient clinic, an intensive outpatient program, feel free to give us a call at 718-758-0400. I'll repeat the number one more time, maybe for a loved one, a neighbor, or someone you sit next to, usually in shul. Maybe you want to jot our number down. And we have parent support groups. Some are by Zoom still and in person. So, again, our confidential number, you can call anonymous, 718-758-0400. I'm really very, very honored this evening to have with us the world-renowned Dr. Maureen Pinto-Wagner, who's a clinical psychologist and an expert in treating childhood anxiety and OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. She's a member of the Scientific and Clinical Advisory Board of the International OCD Foundation and the director of the Anxiety Wellness Center in Cary, North Carolina. Dr. Wagner is an international speaker who trains therapists to treat OCD and presents workshops for parents and school professionals. She's also the author of several books, a very, very known one called Worried No More, Help and Hope for the Anxious Children, and Up and Down the Worry Hill, a children's book about OCD. And also, what do you do when your child has obsessive-compulsive disorder, strategies and solutions? It's a real honor to have you on this evening, Dr. Wagner. Welcome. 
Thank you so much, Ruhama. It is my pleasure to join your show, and I appreciate um, and thank Mask for what a wonderful service you provide to the community and um, helping you know parents and families obtain good information and help for various emotional and behavioral conditions. So thank, thank you for you. having me on. Thank you, doctor. So, you know, we're in the pandemic and anxious children, um, you know, just became more anxious, not having their friends, being home, the unknown, Zooming, uh, you know, school, yes, school, no school. So let's talk about first what is OCD and what does it look like in children, please? Yes, uh, you are absolutely right, Ruhama. I think this past year has really unleashed a lot of anxiety on us as a society in various ways with the pandemic. And children are really suffering from that because it affected their schooling. It's disrupted their lives. And, you know, there's a lot of fear about illness and disease with COVID. But the biggest difference between that kind of anxiety and OCD is whether it's reasonable to the context. So with COVID, I think all of us experienced an innocent anxiety in some form or another, but we might say it's understandable in the context. You know, we had a big disruptive, scary event happen to us, and so we're anxious. But with OCD, the anxiety is unreasonable to the context. It's excessive. It's telling, um, it's popping thoughts into people's minds about a great deal of danger or threat or something bad when there really isn't much basis to it. So that's what obsessions are. They're like intrusive thoughts that pop into people's minds and make them very scared. I'll get a disease, I'll get germs, I'll die, something bad will happen to my parents. And then that makes them so anxious that they feel the need to do things to get rid of those thoughts. And so they repeat things over and over again. I'll check the doors 10 times or I'll wash my hands six times and then things will be okay. Now, even they know that they're doing too much, but they feel compelled to do it. They can't stop themselves. I like to help parents and children think about obsessions as like a false alarm in the brain. It's exaggerating the sense of threat and danger when there isn't any, or a worry trick, like your mind is playing tricks on you for little kids. And that's a good way to understand that it's excessive to the context. So, Dr. Children often like routines and, you know, repeating different, you know, they go to school well, in the morning, they have their lunch hour, you know, before pandemic, they have playtime. So, how do parents know when it is OCD? Yes, indeed. It is very normal for children to have routines and habits. Well, even we as adults like our routines and our habits because they make us efficient, they make us productive. And children find routines also very soothing and enjoyable. So they have their bedtime routine of kissing mom and dad goodnight and you know, cuddling with their stuffed animals, um, or they like to eat out of the same bowl for breakfast, things like that. But once again, the difference being that normal routines are pleasing, soothing, and enjoyable. 
Whereas with OCD, the hallmark I like for people is there is nothing pleasing, soothing, or enjoyable about OCD's routines. So they, they make the child tormented. They feel like they have to do it. If you interrupt them, they get very upset because they think if they can't finish the routine, then the feared thing will happen. Their mother will die or they'll get in an accident. So that's the key difference between normal routines and OCD. And they tend to be extreme and bizarre, like over and over again, in a way that, that doesn't make sense. So let's talk about the causes of OCD. Uh, genetics? Yes. Um, this is a big question on parents' minds. What causes OCD? And of course, parents often think, where did we go wrong? Is it our fault? Did we do something? Did we miss something? Well, the fact is, there is no known cause for OCD. And that can be a disappointing answer because we think, hey, if we knew the cause, then we could fix it. But there isn't a specific cause. Instead, there are many different risk factors. But because risk factors are studied on large groups of people, we cannot extrapolate them to any one child or family. But just keep in mind that, yes, families do tend to have OCD. Genetics does play a role. OCD and anxiety do tend to run in families, but that's not enough to get OCD. There are environmental factors, there are stress factors, there's the way the brain functions, none of which are single causes, but they can all interplay together. And sometimes they're triggers, not even causes. But OCD is no one's fault. I want to make that clear, that it's not misbehavior and it's not caused by parenting. And parents have often gotten a bad rap and been, you know, blamed for OCD. They don't cause it, but they definitely can play a role in helping their child learn to handle it. So let's talk again about compulsions. Can we give a few examples? Yes, absolutely. So OCD can be very confusing because it is bizarre and different. But there are four broad areas of obsessions and a lot of rituals that go with them. And the four areas, our first one is fear of some harm or danger. I'll die, I'll get sick, there'll be some bad luck. Then uh, there's another one that is about doing something wrong, morally wrong, sinning. I will doubt God, I will cheat, I will blaspheme, I will not do my prayers correctly, and that will be wrong and I will be punished. Another one is uh, intrusive thoughts of a really unwanted nature about forbidden things, like violent things. I'll stab my mother. I have this thought of stabbing my mother. Or unwanted sexual thoughts that are clearly something the person perceives as inappropriate or bad. And then finally, there are urges for things to be just right. Something doesn't feel symmetrical or even or perfect. And the rituals then tend to correspond. Like if it's about illness, then the person wants to clean and wash and sanitize. Except once again, as I said at the beginning, it's very excessive. So it's not washing hands once or taking one shower. It's washing hands for one hour, taking three showers a day. So there's cleaning and sanitizing. There's a lot of checking checking doors, checking the backpack, did I forget anything, did I make a mistake? There's, um, when it's unwanted sexual and violent thoughts, people often avoid the triggers, like I'm not going to go there, I'm not going to sit near my brother or be near this person because they remind me of these scary thoughts. And then trying to block or get rid of the thoughts. 
And often there are magical, lucky words, unlucky words, trying to correct and, um, you know, sort of like rethink or erase the bad thoughts. And then finally, for the just right urges, people want to fix them by making it right, like symmetry. I bumped into this with my left elbow. Now I've got to make it e equal by bumping into it with my right elbow. So trying to like equalize things. So, doctor, what causes OCD in children? I know some children may have tics, pandas. Can you talk about the causes of OCD in general in children, please? Yes. We don't know what specifically causes OCD, but genetics does play a role. So anxiety and OCD do tend to run in families. The way the brain functions uh, is thought to also play a role, but it's again not clear that it's specifically a cause of OCD. OCD often accompanies tics, so there is a, you know, sort of a brain basis to that because tics are involuntary behaviors. And they can come and they can go. Yes, tics can come and go too. And then sometimes it's thought that illnesses may trigger OCD in some subset of children. And that's what's called, referred to as PANDAS or pediatric or PANS, pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorders. So sometimes that can be a trigger as well. Now, people that suffer with OCD have really a very negative impact on many different areas in their lives, just work, school, personal relationships. Um, when should parents seek help specifically for OCD, anxiety? Many parents say, oh, she'll grow out of it. Uh, it's too much work in school or whatever. But when really should parents seek help? Yes, and that is also a big question parents have because, you know, children are growing and developing and they have a lot of behaviors. They're still learning how to manage and, you know, mature. And so a good guideline is to think about what I call the four Ds. I offer parents and families the four Ds. Disproportion, distress, disruption, and duration. So... Is your child's behavior way out of proportion to the context? It's really excessive, unreasonable. It's unwarranted. That's too big of a reaction for this issue. That's disproportion. Distress. How upset. Your child is getting really over seemingly small things. They're distraught. They're besides themselves. They're having meltdowns. Disruption. How much is it interfering, getting in the way, holding your child back? They can't fall asleep at night. They can't finish their homework. They can't get out of the bathroom. They can't do their hygiene. They're, you know, it's getting in the way. They can't have fun. And then duration. So this, again, it's been going on for too long. It's not that passing phase that we generally expect of kids. So those are the clues. And if you're concerned that, you know, one of these things has happened, it's good to kind of th think about talking to your doctor or pediatrician as the starting point to get help. Now, we know that somebody that um, will pray over and over for long periods of time, more than the rest of the, you know, the peers in school, or cleaning something over and over, taking three showers, washing your hands, 
it could have an effect on the family at home. So let's talk about the rest of the family and how it affects them, please. Yes, very much so. OCD very quickly can become a family illness. So it doesn't just affect the individual, but because the child or the teen are so distraught, they often um, want their, their families to participate in the ritual. So don't touch that. Oh, no, you must leave your shoes at the door. You can't be in this room while I'm here. This is my chair. You can't sit there because you'll contaminate it. So they start to demand that their family members comply because they fear again that you know their fears will come true. Not only that, they usually become very emotional about the OCD. So there's lots of crying, a lot of arguing, a lot of meltdowns. And the whole family can kind of get sucked down the rabbit hole of OCD. And then because there's so much distress and disruption in the family, parents often find that they are trying to do whatever to appease the child, to comply, to give in, okay, to keep the peace. We'll do whatever you want to keep the peace. But they too, it impacts them. It takes a, a toll. It's a burden. You know, it takes long hours to get all these things done. And they're not getting enough sleep and they're not able to function as a family. So it very much, you know, affects the family. And so this is often called accommodation. Families accommodate to keep the peace in the family. And yet, accommodation doesn't make OCD better. In the long run, it makes OCD worse. So what do you want to say to parents? That with treatment, with the right treatment, they will learn how to help their child without accommodating the child. Very, very important. Let's go back to your book, Up and Down the Worry Hill. And it's a children's book about obsessive compulsive disorder and its treatment. Um, great book. Uh, Thank you. How young can you use this book for? What age children? The book was written for children between the ages of four and eight with OCD, but a parent could potentially read parts of it to a younger child. The book is a picture book, so along with the, the statements in each page are pictures that a child, a younger child can easily relate to. And it is kept young and simple, but parents can also paraphrase it. But it was really written to help children and families understand what OCD is all about and then what makes it worse and what makes it better. And it came about because in my practice, a metaphor of the worry hill to describe how treatment works. And then a parent one day said to me many years ago, you should write a book about it. And I said, oh, yeah, okay, that's, you know, Oh, thank you. Thank you. But started thinking about it more. And another parent said, you know, you could reach so many other families that you don't treat by sharing these messages with others. So that was the purpose of the book, to reach a much broader audience than I do personally through my practice. So if a parent has OCD and they wash their hands, you know, very often, um, their child may have a OCD, but may have a, a different compulsion or obsession. And that's important to recognize because sometimes kissing that 
their child may have what they have. Yes. There isn't sort of like a one-on-one, um, you know, symptom that is passed on heritage. As a matter of fact, OCD is also an anxiety-based disorder. And so and it is the anxiety, the, the tendency, the vulnerability, the predisposition towards anxiety, that is what is inherited, not the actual symptoms. So a parent might have OCD, but a child may have a different form of anxiety, like separation anxiety, but they still are anxious. Likewise, a parent may have generalized anxiety, a child may have OCD. There isn't a one-on-one correspondence between symptoms. So a child can be very young with anxiety and have difficulties in school. Um, You know, how does a parent know that a child really needs to be seen by a professional without making excuses, you know, until the school performance is affected in a negative way. Yes. Yes. About half of the children and teens with OCD really experience challenges at school as a result of their OCD. And even those that don't show symptoms at school may be working very hard to control them and contain them. And once again, I would suggest the four Ds. If it appears that your child is putting in way too many hours into trying to get their homework done and they're erasing and rewriting and reading over and over and trying to get it perfectly and it's taking a disproportionate amount of time and they're anxious and crying and upset um, or they're withdrawing, they are trying to be extra neat and, you know, they can't get their stuff done. Or at school, they're doing odd things that are noticeable and kids are picking on them because it affects them socially as well. These are the kinds of things that if parents become aware of, it would be good to, you know, think about how to intervene sooner rather than later. I know I read that uh, OCD generally starts earlier in boys than in girls. Yes. There are actually maybe two sort of ages of onset. Among children, it tends to be boys between the ages of 7 and 11. And then there is a second sort of peak of onset later on in the teen years, maybe between 15 and 20. And that tend to have more girls than boys. So it's not quite understood how all of that works. Wow. Very interesting. Uh, So let's talk about treatment for OCD. What, you know, treatment is the best for children? We're talking about children now. Yes. And that's the good news in all of this. There is treatment. OCD is very treatable. And even children respond very well to the treatment as long as it's the right treatment. And scientific research has shown that cognitive behavioral therapy, specifically a technique called exposure and response prevention, is the most effective strategy for overcoming OCD, and sometimes in combination with medication. And it is recommended by the American Academy for Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, as well as the National Institutes of Mental Health. And cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, it's not talk therapy, which doesn't really help OCD. It's talk and do therapy. 
you have to learn skills to react differently to those false alarm fears of OCD. And in my work with children and teens over the past 25 years, I really help them understand once again that OCD is that false alarm. It's a worry trick. It's giving you false messages. It's not true. And when you fear it and you do the things it tells you to do by doing rituals, it's making it worse. And instead, because there's no danger, you will need to be brave enough to face those fears. And that's the exposure technique, facing fears. It's kind of the opposite of what most people think they should do for OCD. They think they should avoid their fears. Instead, you have to face your fears, do the opposite. And you'll find out two things. One, your fear does not come true because remember, it's a false alarm to begin with. And second, you will find out that you will get used to the you are braver than you think you are. So this is all about empowering bravery. And you'll get used to the anxiety. You'll habituate to it the same way you get used to cold water in a swimming pool. What most people don't realize is our bodies are designed to habituate, just like we do to cold and heat and light and sounds. So these are the key ideas. And um, it's very doable. Children respond very well, but they have to learn the rationale, they have to understand why it's important to face their fears. And I also say facing your fear is like riding a bicycle up and down a big worry hill. It's tough at first, that's the exposure. You're huffing, you're puffing, you want to quit and go back down. But you have to stick it out till you get the top of the hill. And then you get to come down the other side. And that's the habituation and that's the fun part. So ride down a big worry hill. So what do you want to tell parents to help their children with OCD? So first of all, you're the gatekeepers. Parents, you know your child better than anyone. You're raising your child. You should be in charge of, you know, your child's growth and development. So knowing that something, you'll notice something doesn't seem right. So educate yourself. There's lots of wonderful knowledge out there. And get your child the right kind of help. Start with talking to your pediatrician. And as a parent, you're in a powerful position to understand OCD, what it is, what it isn't, to recognize the red flags, to help your child understand it's not their fault, that there's help and hope. Learn about the treatments, find the right therapist, and learn how to react and respond in ways to help your child manage OCD. Dr. Wagner, it's wonderful having you on uh, and speaking about OCD, it, it is very painful for parents when their children suffer with OCD. They think they're so responsible for it. So what do you want to say to those parents that really have their own um, guilt if they're suffering with anxiety or OCD and how it disrupts the family? So... We're running out of time. What message would you like to leave my audience with? Sure. I would like to leave a message of hope and optimism. So we know it's not parents' fault. Blame and shame don't get you anywhere. You might have made mistakes. Who hasn't? We're all parents. We make mistakes. But you've got to move on and find hope and optimism. And it's out there. And I encourage you to seek it. Well, thank you, Dr. Wagner. And anyone interested in getting a referral for a 
therapist that deals with anxiety and OCD can call MASK at 718-758-0400. And the International OCD Foundation can go online. You want to give out the email address, please, the website, please? Yes, it's www.iocdf.org, and that stands for International OCD Foundation. And they're a wonderful organization with a wealth of information and support. And this is their main purpose, is to be there for families with OCD. And I do want to remind everyone that Dr. Wagner has several books on Amazon uh, worried no more, second edition, right, Dr. Wagner? Mm-hmm. And uh, the worry, uh, we have the children's book as well, The Up and Down the Worry Hill. So please go on to Amazon, educate yourself, get those books, and help your family member if they're struggling with OCD. Thank you, Dr. Wagner. Hope to have you again soon. Yes, thank you so much, Ruhama. My pleasure. And I want to remind everyone, always remember, hang in, hold on, and virtually for now, hug tight. I want to wish everybody a very good evening, a beautiful Shabbos. And tonight's show is in memory of Rivka Bas Yisroel. Thank you, and have a good night. A message from the New York City Health Department. Now children 12 and older can be vaccinated against COVID-19 with the FDA-authorized Pfizer vaccine. While children and teens aren't typically at high risk for getting severely sick from COVID-19, they can still spread the virus, which is why it is important for them to get vaccinated to protect themselves and others. So get your child vaccinated against COVID-19. If you have questions, speak with your provider or visit nyc.gov slash COVID vaccine.